and we've, we, we squeezed a lot into like two hours, I think, that, uh, so uh, it's great. Hey, we're going to, uh, I know you guys have been doing a great job. I have a great, uh, a great joy to have gotten to know you guys a little bit, and hopefully you all have had a chance to get to know one another a little bit, but y'all have been doing a lot of listening, and so uh, in this last time, I thought instead of doing just pure monologue, we might do a little bit of dialogue, and so uh, I'm going to ask you guys uh, a couple of questions to, to help you guys process through this a little bit, so if there's a couple of guys right around you uh, that you might uh, get, maybe Garrett two or three other guys, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. But uh, I wanted you to get some of those guys near you and answer this question as we uh, think about it. If you were uh, at the water cooler or the printer in your office or you're hanging out in your neighborhood or wherever you are, and uh, if someone were to ask uh, just in that little circle, hey guys, I'm thinking of getting married, but what, what do you think the point of getting married is? What would most of the guys in your office, in your neighborhood, on your softball team, whatever it is. Well, how would that question be answered? Hey guys, what is the purpose of getting married? What's the point? So get two or three guys, uh, come up with a, a, an answer to that question, what you think most guys would say, and, uh, and then we'll hear back from you. What do we, uh, we get some good answers. What do you think? Somebody shout out what their group came up with. What would most guys say the purpose of marriage is? Anybody? Don't get married. Don't get married. Okay. What else? What did y'all say? Companionship. Okay. Commitment. Make her happy. Loving each other for who they are. Good. Taxes. Good. There you go. Guilt-free sex. Probably, yeah, probably a good one. I was actually, uh, I don't know if you all heard the book Freakonomics. It's, a, it's an economics book that was written in a couple of years ago, and they have a podcast, and I have a long commute to the office, and so uh, I sometimes listen to the Freakonomics podcast, and it's not a Christian thing at all, but uh, it's actually an economics podcast, but they're asking and doing a kind of a man-on-the-street interview with different folks asking that specific question because the idea of marriage has really been uh, changing and evolving and under attack uh, in our nation for you know the last few years. And so uh, these non-Christian guys were asking people, why are people getting married? And so they came up with a top couple of answers. Um, and some of them were the reasons that you guys said. Uh, well, love was kind of one answer. Financial reasons was one of the top answers, so way to go. Uh, we want to have kids was a big reason. 
and it's a family tradition. Those were kind of the main ideas, the main reasons why people are getting married, maybe outside the church. But, uh, but I think that, that even outside the church, people look for, and, and inside the church too, we, we look to marriage and assume that in this particular relationship, uh, there'll be some sort of personal fulfillment in this, this relationship. Um, and if we go into marriage considering, I think that I'll be fulfilled, I'll be satisfied when I get married, whether that's financially, whether that's through kids, whether that's through guilt-free sex, whether that's through any of those things that we mentioned, if we, pr- if we go towards marriage assuming that it's going to be uh, uh, fulfilling me somehow, what we've done is uh, we've elevated this idea of marriage to, uh, to a place that's never actually going to fulfill us. If we assume that this relationship, this human relationship, is the thing that's going to fulfill us, we'll always find ourselves falling short. Uh, and so for the single guys in the room, if, if you think that uh, this relationship is going to be my ultimate fulfillment, what's going to happen is you will drive yourself crazy trying to find the perfect woman that's going to fulfill your every need and in every way. The, this sort of unicorn girl that's, that only exists in your mind that is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous and a great cook and has the spirit of Mother Teresa but the body of a swimsuit model and, and thinking like that's... As long as that's not inverse, I, think, I guess you're all right. That just got weird. Uh, but, but we're looking for this person that's going to answer every need that I have, Right? And so I've seen this in college guys all the time is that these guys, these single guys are like going out there and they're dating. They're like, well, she's just, she has this wrong or she has that wrong. And, and the problem with understanding marriage as fulfilling all of my needs is that we place unrealistic, unrealistic expectations on that other person to fulfill me in every way. And essentially we deify this woman to say this woman is going to actually meet the needs that only Jesus can meet in my life. Um, the second thing that happens if we see f- this particular relationship as the ultimate fulfillment of my, all of my needs and desires, what's going to happen is when that doesn't work out, when you do meet the unicorn girl and you fall in love and you, you get married, you're going to place on her all of these ideas of, of her fulfilling you. And whether that's one week in or ten years in, when that doesn't happen, she will fail you just as you will fail her. There'll be a point when you're like, man, this isn't working anymore. She's not doing all the things that I thought she would do. This isn't answering all the questions I thought it would answer. If we assume that this relationship's going to do that and it doesn't do that, then we bail. And we go on to the next relationship assuming that that one is the one that's going to fulfill us and that one fails. And so we go on to the next one and we find ourselves continually going through this. And so what is then, if my personal fulfillment isn't the point of marriage... What is the point of marriage? So go back in your groups, your three guys, uh, try to answer maybe from what you know about Scripture or whatever, uh, and you you can use Ephesians 5 as a proof text. Uh, But what is the purpose and point of marriage? So talk about that amongst yourselves.
Alright, and as you're talking, if you've already got an answer to that question, go ahead and try to answer this question. If you've answered what is the reason for marriage, this is man camp, and so we're going to answer the next question in your groups is what is the role of the husband in that purpose? What's the role of the husband? If that's the purpose, what's the role of the husband in that purpose? So go ahead and answer that question too. What do we come up with uh, for the purpose? What's the purpose of marriage? If it's not personal fulfillment, what, what answer? How do we answer that question? What's the purpose of marriage? What did y'all come up with? Okay, picture of Christ in the church. Okay. Christ in the church. Great. Have kids. Have kids? Good. To further God's kingdom and fulfill his okay. Did y'all get that? To have kids to further his kingdom and fulfill his promises. Nice. (laughs) Cha-ching. Excellent. Yeah, that's right. That's a caveat to all other things we say. Okay. What's that? Yeah, makes one another both more complete. Sure. So what's the role of the husband then in this purpose? Spiritual leader, what was it? Head of the household. Okay. I'm glad you answered that way because your previous answer, I would've, it would have gotten weird if we got into that. <laughs> okay, Christ, love your wife as Christ loved the church, which is what we find here in Ephesians chapter 5. So let me read this to us. This is Ephesians 5. Let's start in verse 25. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go down through 33. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this is a famous passage. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this idea that the husband's role, you know, in verse 22, the wives are called to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, Verse 25, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And so I think we get that. We've heard that maybe before. Um, But I don't know if if we've processed how does Christ love the church? What, what, What does it look like for Jesus to love his church and, and to consider 
for a minute, if we were to maybe list on this whiteboard all the ways that Jesus loves his church, we would probably be able to fill up the board with all sorts of different uh, ways. And so the call of God then is for us to love our wives like Christ loves the church. Uh, and I, I couldn't come up with, with all of the ways, but I wanted to simply come up with a couple of ways that, uh, that, that, that I, was, I was thinking of how Jesus has loved the church well, uh, and then begin to apply that way to the way that I love my wife. Um, so I came up with four. I'm sure there's a lot. The first way that Jesus loves his church is that Christ loves his church intentionally. He loves his church on purpose. He didn't sort of stumble into the incarnation and find himself as a baby in a manger and go, oh, now what do I do? Uh, but before the foundations of the world, he has loved his church on purpose um, because of this, because love initiates action. Uh, if you love somebody and you see them suffering, you want to intercede, you want to go and help out however you can. Love prompts and compels us to move forward. Uh, for, for a lot of you guys, uh, love compelled action in your dating life, right? Like you wouldn't have got her had you not moved towards her. Uh, for me, when I was in college and I was uh, trying to get Shannon's attention, it took a lot of initiation on my part because she just wasn't paying any attention. So I had to, uh, and, and I don't uh, suggest being creepy, uh, but I had to kind of, I had to do these things. And so I knew, I, I memorized her class schedule. Uh, and I knew that uh, she was coming out of geography class uh, about 11 o'clock and then normally uh, it's normally about lunchtime. So I would happen to walk past her on campus when she's coming out of geography and it just happened to be lunchtime. And so I'm like, oh no way, you're walking here and I'm walking here and we're both walking crazy. Look, it's lunchtime. Let's grab some lunch together. And so it was weird and it was intentional. It was purposeful. And I told her that, that now and she's like, yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, but, but this purposeful and intentional moving towards her uh, it was not on accident. We didn't accidentally fall in love as some movies might make it seem like but there's an intentionality because love initiates action. That's why in John 3.16 we see God loved the world so he gave his only son. First uh, John 3.18 says let's not just love with words or with talk but in deeds and in truth because love motivates us. So Jesus loves his church on purpose and we're to love our wives purposefully and intentionally and not just happen to live in the same house, but to continue to pursue them. Remember in the garden we talked about uh, Adam and Eve, they sinned and how God entered into the garden, not with lightning bolts, but he walked in the garden of, in the cool of the day. And he begins to prompt, prompt questions and ask them questions. And he pursues his people with grace and kindness right after the fall. You know that the fall... Because they took that fruit, Jesus had to die, right? And, and God walks, he, he, the Father walks into the garden. He could have been upset. He could have been angry, rightfully so. But he walks in the garden in the cool of the day and he pursues them in that way and just calls them out, asks them questions. When your wife um, does things that upsets you, do you pursue her like Jesus pursues his church? Or do you demand things of her with lightning bolts? Because God did not do that to you to love your love your wife as Christ loved the church second thing the way that Jesus loves his church not only is intentional but it's sacrificial it says it here that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so there is a sacrificial love that Jesus has uh, towards his bride 
I love what John Piper says about sacrificial love of a husband to a wife. He says, sacrificial love is a call to get risk. uh, It's a a call to risk getting egg on your face. To pray as you have never prayed before. To be constantly in the word. To be more giving. To planning, more intentional, more thoughtful. Less carried along by the mood of the moment. To be disciplined and ordered in your life. To be tender hearted and sensitive. To take the initiative to make sure there's time and a place to talk to her about what needs to be talked about. And to be ready to lay down your life the way Christ did if that's necessary. I mean, that's a high call. I mean, it's a high call. And so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of complaints. Uh, a lot of times when ladies read, wives submit to your husband as to the Lord, uh, there, there's complaints because there's been uh, maybe some guys that have, have taken that and pressed their thumb down and not, that is not the right response to that verse or that text. But then you read this and you read, hey guys, you're supposed to go love your wife like Jesus did and he gave himself up for her. And you're to give your life away for her betterment, for her good. I was in a counseling appointment with, with um, a couple recently, and I'm sharing this passage with them, and I'm looking at the guy, and I say, hey, this is the way you're called to love this woman, is that you're, you're called to love her as Jesus loved you, which means he gave his life away for her. And he looks at me, and he's like, man, that's, that's really hard. Because I, I don't deserve to be treated like the way she's treating me. I deserve to be respected and I deserve to be uh, treated well and, and, and she doesn't treat me with respect so I can't give my life away for her. And I looked at him and I'm like, bro, how did you treat God? Does God love you because you, because, because you are good? Did, did you disrespect him? Did you disrespect God but he still pursued you and loved you? Did you were you his enemy and he still pursued you and loved you? And he's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, but it's so difficult, and I know it's difficult. But the call is, is that we, as we press into Jesus, we recognize that this sacrifice has been done to us, and we're called to do this for the good of her. So we sacrifice ourselves so that she might um, experience life. And that's what it goes on to say in this next portion. So we love intentionally, we love sacrificially, but Jesus loves generously because he gives himself for her good. Let's keep reading verse 26. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. I love that imagery because what's happening is it's saying this. Look, Jesus gave himself up so that she might be sanctified, so that she might be holy, so that she might be without spot or wrinkle or blemish. And that's the way that Jesus loved the church and that's the way Jesus is calling us to love our wives. Jesus loved her generously to give himself away for her good. And I mean, I I think what we normally do when it comes to marriage is we normally go in 50-50. It's like, you give half, I give half. You spend $100, I get to spend $100. You go on vacation where you want this year, we're going to go where I want next year. But if we go 50-50, that means both of us are leaving 50% on the table. The call of God on your life isn't 50%. The call of God on your life is 100% regardless of how she responds. And all of a sudden you're going, whoa, wait a minute. So if I do this and she doesn't want to have sex, then, then then I lose. And I'm like, no. You do that because you're called to do that and how she responds is on her. 
but how you engage is on you. Your obedience is not determined upon her response to your obedience. Your obedience is to Christ because Christ has loved you and sacrificed to you. So therefore, your call is to love her as Christ loved the church. And then how she responds is her obedience issue. And so you don't do things to her so that she will do things with you. You do things for her because it's the call of God on your life. And she'll probably do things because that's the way she's, she's going to respond to that. But you don't, but, but guys, I know I'm a guy, right? And so it's like, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to buy her some flowers. And it's not even Valentine's. And this is going to be good, you know? And I'm going <laughs> to, it's going to be awesome. So I come home. I went to Randall's. I bought some flowers. Put the kids down. This is going to be great. And then nothing. I'm like, uh, what? You know? I'm like, what's the deal? I spent $19. <laughs> And then I get frustrated with her because she didn't respond to the way that I'm trying to show her. I'm just a sacrificial, loving guy. I'm totally selfish. I'm selfish. I'm going to spend $19 on flowers because of what I want, not because I want to glorify God by loving her. Right? And then when you begin to love her, when you, and it's, it's as if I think she's a dummy, as if I think she doesn't see right through that. But man, when I begin to love her and, and not, res, not, not expect her reciprocity, but I get to put my life down so that she might be cleansed and sanctified and grow in holiness. And I, I put off the TV so that I can talk to her because I want to know her. I want to press her heart to Jesus. Man, that is where she responds. Not to me trying to buy her love, but actually pressing in and loving her and being gracious and kind to her. So God loves us in that way. And then finally, Jesus loves his church I don't think this is a word. I made it up. Uh, he loves his church covenantally. And we talked about that in our previous session, but this idea that God has brought man and woman into a covenant relationship called marriage, that Jesus has loved his bride covenantally, meaning he has made promises to the bride. He has made promises to her. And one of the problems that we have in the way that we understand marriage kind of culturally is we base it more on chemistry than on covenant. We say, well, this marriage is working out because we got good chemistry. Um, but when chemistry goes bad, then the marriage goes bad. But if the marriage is based on covenant, it doesn't matter how I feel because there's a promise that keep, keeps me in the game. And so it is a covenant relationship that we enter into not to be broken. Uh, and so this, this idea is that Jesus loves us with a promise and we are to love our wives with a promise that doesn't fade. Um, you know, I think, uh, I'm trying to remember back to, so I pursued her in college, we did the lunch on campus, uh, and then we went out on, uh, on some dates, and uh, I remember we were driving uh, to a date party and, uh, at A&M, and so my friend and his date were in the front seat, and Shannon and I were in the back, and we were going to this date party, and, uh, and I can remember she, uh, she put her hand down on the middle of the seat, and I'm like, that's a green light. And so I, I remember going, I'm going to go and hold her hand. This is going to be so awesome. And it, this was like total risk because it was on the way to the date party. I didn't, it wasn't a good idea because if she pulls away, then the whole thing goes bad and it's going to get really weird. Uh, so she put her hand down on the seat. I put her hand, my hand on her hand and she squeezed my hand. And I squeezed her hand and it was like, hallelujah, you know, like, 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 like fireworks going off. And it was this beautiful thing. And, and I can remember this is love. This is what love feels like. And, and as I look back on that, I'm not sure that's love. I'm sh I think that, honestly, 
Uh, and Tim Keller says it like this. He says, when the, when the sparks go off, when she responds to your physical advances, that's not love as much as that's ego. And I said, what? And as he presses into that, it's because what happens is it's ego because she has responded back to me and that just makes me feel good. See, but love, love is more than the fireworks that go off. That's awesome. I love the fireworks. That's great. But it isn't enduring love that's going to cause me to give my life away for this woman. The fireworks go off and they fade and what's left is covenant. What's left is promise. What's left is commitment uh, Piper says it like this marriage is filled with both wonders and wounds and there will be wounds along the way but there's also wonders along the way and the fireworks that went off that night when I held her hand were great but they pale in comparison to the fireworks that go off years later we celebrate 15 years in June years later when that still happens and now it means something then it was just oh this is awesome now she knows me she knows my stuff she knows my sin she's seen me angry she's seen me lose my temper and she still squeezes my hand that that means something even more because there's wounds and there's wonders as you continue to press through covenant relationship to say guess what i've seen you at your worst and our covenant holds firm and that means that love is growing even deeper because Jesus, guess what? He has seen you at your absolute worst. And yet he gave himself up for you. Before the foundations of the world, he loved you and called you his own and adopted you and redeemed you and paid the price for you. And so at your worst and at your best, he still loves you. And that's the way we're called to love our spouse with a covenant type of love. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine and he was going through some hard times with his marriage and he's like man it's just not this doesn't seem to be working like I'm trying to do these things and she's not responding and he goes man you know what I don't know love isn't supposed to be this hard is it <laughs> I, I kind of laughed I'm like I've heard that phrase before I'm like what makes you think love is going to be easy I'm like he was a baseball player I'm like is it easy to hit a curveball do you have to work at it somebody's throwing you a fastball straight down the pipe I mean we were playing wiffle ball out here God, I missed a couple uh, and these are, you guys are good pitchers and all, but you're not the major leagues, right? Is that difficult to hit a curveball in the, in the pros? Well, yeah. You think those guys work at it? Of course they do. Every single day they work at it. You think it's easy? No. What makes you think marriage is easy? What makes you think love is supposed to be this blissful, uh, skipping through the flowers in the fields and it's supposed to not be difficult? You think the way Jesus loved his church, there was times that it was difficult? The dude was sweating so profusely that it turned to blood in the garden and you you think love isn't difficult he had his arms nailed to a roman cross to where if he wanted to capture a breath he had to pull up on those nails to simply get a breath as the blood from the crown of thorns was was dripping into his eyes after they had whipped his back so much that that bone is exposed and it's hanging on the cross you think love isn't difficult Man, of course it's difficult, but it's worth it. Of course it's difficult. But Jesus has called you to love your bride as Christ loved the church, and you have not yet sacrificed your life for her, so keep going. Keep pressing on. Uh, we experience this love, and then we give it away. And we say, man, how do we do that? That seems so, so difficult. Remember, context is everything, and we, we did this with 
the, when we talked through this kind of sexual identity, we went back to verse 1 of chapter 5. Let's do that again. Remember, this is uh, chapter 5 that we're in, and it says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Watch this, verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That exact phrase is the phrase that we just read in, in 525. He gave himself up for her. So Paul is basically repeating himself. He says, how do you love? You walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Therefore, husbands, love your wife and give yourself up for her if that's what's necessary. And so how does this look practically? What does it look like to practically love my, my girl in these ways? Um, and we could list tons of different ways to, to practically love our wives. But a couple of things I want to give you guys, and, and, and we can talk about more as we go. But uh, four things. The way that you talk about her and the way that you talk to her is the way that you can love her. The way that you talk about her to your friends, the way you talk about her to her friends or whatever, speak about her as you are her biggest fan. Guys, I know this. Uh, there's a tendency to want to go and complain and, and gripe about our girl and, and, and say all these things because we want other people to come in and, 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 and say, oh, it's going to be okay. Man, your, your wife did that. That's crazy. Guess what my wife did? And that's, man, that is not living with respect. That is not living with a respectful way towards her. But now if you're having issues, you're having problems, certainly bring somebody into that. But you're just kind of hanging around talking about about the ladies that's never a helpful way to talk about her so the way you talk about her and the way you talk to her how do you speak to her how, what are the words that you say um, be careful of those harsh words to so tame your tongue be quick to listen and slow to speak as the word tells us uh, speak to her with respect not with harshness so how you talk second thing is how you serve uh, jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and he gave his life away remember jesus is uh the night before he dies 24 hours or even less before he goes to the cross he's hanging out with his guys and he's washing their dirty feet those nasty feet that have been on those those roads with the dirt and the dust and all the stuff that goes along with it he's washing their feet and he's serving them and he says i want to give you a picture of what you're to do uh, of how you're to love uh, people by serving them how do you love your wife what are ways that you serve her how does she feel served maybe maybe it's emptying the dishwasher maybe it's whatever that is how does she feel served so talk to her serve her thirdly the ways that you pursue how do you pursue her uh, i was talking to a, a good friend of mine and uh, they were having some some struggles in their marriage and and uh uh, and she, she came to him and said, basically, you know, I'm not going to leave you, but I've just got to let you know that uh, I talked to this other guy and he was helping me out with the kids. We were walking out to the car and, and, uh, and um, he, he kind of helped me get, get stuff going. And she said, I'm not going to leave you, but I got to tell you, man, it felt good to have somebody pay attention to me. And he's telling me that. And I'm like, oh, man, that's rough. And so as he, as he began to process through that, he said, here's what, what God has been telling him. He said, I want you to pursue that woman like you pursued her when you were dating. And when I pursued Shannon when we were dating, I did all sorts of crazy stuff. I was living in Dallas and she was still finishing up in College Station. And uh, I would drive down uh, for, on Friday after class would get out in seminary and, and be there on Saturday. I had to be home on Sunday morning for church. And, uh, and so I would drive down, you know, three or four hours, whatever it took, uh, be down there Friday night. 
hang out Saturday, drive back late Saturday night, and I was the guy driving down, um, you know, 45 from College Station to Dallas with my head out the window at like, you know, one in the morning with empty bottles of Jolt Cola all over the floor. Literally, I drive punching myself in the arm to stay awake. And I look back, I'm like, what an idiot I was. That was so stupid. But the idea that I didn't care. I had to be near her. I wanted to be close to her. I pursued her. And it meant if I drove hours and hours out of, uh, out of, out of my routine in order to just be near her for a day. And I was doing that. And how, how well have I pursued her lately? Our last date night. We went to Costco and got a, hot, a dog, $1.50 hot dog and Coke. Sweet baby, here we go. $3. Let's walk around and see if we can get some free samples. This is going to be awesome. She's like, I just feel so loved and appreciated. Thank you. Well, look, I got like the TV, big flat screen TVs. We got a free movie. Um, so, I mean, it's like, dude, what are you doing? You used to go out of your way to pursue this girl. And now it's, it's sort of assumed that she's there. But Jesus continues to pursue and he's called us to pursue. How are you pursuing your wife? How are you pursuing her heart? Are you asking her about what she's learning about God? What does she love to do? Is she serving in the church, serving with kids, or doing something else? Have you asked her about that? Have you said, what's going on with that? How are you doing? And, and have you told her not only that you love her, but what you love about her? Like, I love that you do that. I love that you serve that way. I love that you love that way. And, and just that, I just want to tell you that I think that's so great. Uh, constantly when I'm talking with couples that are really struggling, one of the questions I always ask them is, Hey, what made y'all fall in love in the first place? Just tell, tell me what you loved about her when you were falling in love with her. What was that like? And they usually give me a list, and, and then I'll ask the girl the same question, and she'll give me a list, and I said, okay, well, have you seen those things lately? And, and it's usually you get so blinded by pain and the wounds of marriage that you forget the wonders of the love that God has called you into. Uh, and sometimes it just takes stepping back and going, oh yeah, we actually like each other. I actually enjoy hanging out with this person. So what are those things? How do you pursue her? And then finally, so how you talk to her, how you serve her, how are you pursuing her, and then how are you walking with Jesus? The way that you can love your spouse is that you walk with Jesus and you pray and you spend time in the Word and you spend time with Jesus and that is an act of love towards her. Going on these types of things is a way that you can actually love her because it's going to press you into Jesus. And when you do those things, you're growing in your affection for Jesus. And when you grow in your affection for Jesus, you begin to see how he pursued you and how he loved you. And then all of a sudden, your heart begins to change. You say, I was loved to that extent. I want to love to that extent. I want to give my life away for this girl. And so we find ourselves um, called to, to love in that way as beloved children, walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, and that Jesus gave himself up to, his, to the church so that she might be sanctified and cleansed, washed with, with, with the word, that he might present her, the church, to himself in splendor. And what a joy it will be. I think about this sometimes, that they say Shannon and I died at the same time when we get to heaven, and he's going to look at me and say, hey, I want to see your wife and I want to see how you pursued her and loved her and how you sanctified her by the way that you loved her and cleansed her with the washing of the word that, that you prayed the word of God over her, that you taught her the word, that you spent time together and that there'll be a moment 
in heaven, maybe, in my mind, that, that I get to present Shannon to God and say, God, this, I, I, I made a disciple. My disciple was my wife. I spent time and love and prayers and energy helping her grow in faith. And, and, I, and I look at this and I see that picture of Christ presenting to himself without spot or wrinkle a holy bride. Uh, and my call is to do the same. So guys, I wanted to finish with this. Um, and we'll be done. I guess Brian can come back up and maybe close this out. But um, as, as Ephesians close, closes, uh, Paul is talking to this church there in Ephesus. And this is his final kind of way of parting with them. In chapter 6. Now let me just let, let this be our prayer and I'll pray this over you guys as we finish up our time and then Brian can come up. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And peace to you, brothers, in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks guys.